Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number eight in the Middle-Aged Man podcast. We've had a bit of a breather through our uh, pandemic and post-pandemic times, uh, and we're uh, very excited to have uh, a guest speaker with us here today. Before we get into our core subject matter, um, I think it's uh, worthwhile to touch on um, some topics uh, and some uh, changes in the marketplace. Our topic today is going to deal with what we're calling the trek, which is everyone's journey through career progression, entrepreneurial ventures, and, and life in general. The pandemic has done some interesting things to the job market and the way that we think about job and career. Um, and we'll post, as always, uh, surveys and uh, and materials for you. Um, a Prudential survey found that one in four workers are now looking for new roles and new opportunities, which is a really high number. Most of those individuals, about 80%, um, cite career advancement as one of the key reasons for looking for new endeavors. 38% believe they are stuck where they are today. Others look for benefits as, um, as the pandemic has shown them the importance of. Others want to continue to work remote. Um, many, well, one in three, would take a pay cut for a better work-life balance. And we know that job satisfaction is is linked to to mental health in in most cases, and so this raises some interesting questions about how do you think about your career, how do you manage your career, how do you think about change, and uh, an overall fulfillment. And so our esteemed guest speaker today, Brad Smith, has managed change professionally. He's lived the change, and he now mentors on change and career management. Brad, welcome. Thank you very much, Matt. That was a that was a great introduction. Some great information there. Um, maybe uh, Brad, I'll, I'll leave to you to sort of give a, an introduction of uh, of yourself and your background, and then uh, and then we'll get into some uh, some of the uh, fun questions we have lined up today. Sounds great. Thank you very much for the opportunity to join uh, join you fellows. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I am um, the uh, I am a husband. I am a father of two uh, great kids. I have a daughter who is just finishing up a, a law degree and moving into uh, environmental law. So she's going to be helping to save the world so we can all live in it well. My uh, son is 15, just going into grade 10 and uh, playing a lot of sports, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing as a 15-year-old and uh, kind of managing, everybody's managing the way through the pandemic. My wife's a teacher. Um, and I've got a great uh, ecosystem of, of family and friends and great supportive people. So super, super lucky. Career-wise, um, I've had a really great career spanning a little over 30 years now. Um, came out of uh, university, grew up in the prairies in Winnipeg, which was a great place to grow up. Um, had a finance background and coming out of university, really had no idea what I really wanted to do. So just interview with a bunch of people and got on with a great organization that was really dedicated to uh, training people as they came in, which was one of the things they really appreciated. I appreciated. Uh, I eventually moved to Ottawa with them. Uh, one of the big transitions in my life. Um, and then uh, after a while, one of the things I always wanted to do in my career was have doors open and feel like I wasn't stuck. Uh, so at one point in time, after about 10 years with uh, the one organization, I moved over to another one to change what I was doing. I was designing and selling products in the beginning, and then I was going to move over to manage them, and then I was going to move over to consult. So I joined uh, Canada Post during a really exciting time with them. I uh, worked with some really amazing people during the transition from, uh, uh, I guess, an old economy to a digital economy through the... Uh, uh, e-commerce uh, trend that uh, is really deeply amongst all of us now. So I did uh, had a great 20-year career with them. Um, and then it was time to make the next transition where I uh, moved off to be independent, get some more time for myself and my family, and pursue some things that I've always wanted to pursue. So that's where I'm at right now. That is amazing. That is uh, that's not too long, but um, uh, <laughs> lots of stuff going on in there. It, it, when you have uh when you have a long career under your belt it's uh that's you know that's i think that's part of the wisdom 
you know, the longer it takes you to explain <laughs> where you're coming from, the more likely, uh, you know, that there is a lot of wisdom behind that and a lot of learnings. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, hey welcome to the show, Brad. It's uh, Gareth here. I just, uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Um, just to give a little bit of context, you know, Brad's connection to to me is through my wife. Um, my wife also uh, spent a bit of time at Canada Post, and and at that time, uh, Brad was uh, was well, generically speaking, her boss. And uh, and and she's. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to flatter you too much, Brad. But I mean, my my wife still says lots of wonderful things about you. And 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 it was interesting. Just the you know, kind of mid pandemic, um, my wife went was going through a career change at the same point in time. And, and I can say the person that she leaned on for advice was Brad and, and, uh, and me being kind of a, you know, the observer from the outside looking in on, on these conversations, I was just super impressed with just the approach and the wisdom speaking to your point there about, you know, those 30 years of experience, but also, I mean, you know, a kind of insight that's, that's, that's unique to Brad as well in terms of his approach. And, and it was, it was just wonderful watching her go through this conversation, being coached by Brad uh, and, and arriving at these really powerful and important conclusions for kind of how she wanted to steer her at that point in time, her career, but also baking into that bigger questions about where she wanted to go with her life as well. So, you know, that conversation motivated me to, to, to reach out to Brad and say, Hey, you know, do you, do you mind making some time to come talk to us about this? Because I think I think there's a lot of people who'd really benefit from from some of the insights that you have to share. So I just wanted to thank you for making the time to be on the show today, Brad. No, anytime. And you know, it's it's so um, gratifying to hear that you know you're able to help somebody else. That's always been one of the things that probably the thing that's driven me. I go back to one of the first interviews I had um, when I was joining, yeah, you know, the first organization I was with. And uh, I keep on going back and I always see the same things now about what, what really drives me. It's, you know, the chance to do some interesting things and be a part of guiding the direction of an organization. But at the same point in time, uh, and more importantly, it's helping people. It's always really driven me. So I'm glad that, uh, that that helped. I had the benefit of learning some great lessons throughout my career from many uh, mentors and advisors and people who have really influenced me and the ability to take some of those and package them up and try them out and, and pass them on, you know, that's, uh, that's a great, a great part of a life. And, you know, everybody, uh, if everybody has a chance to help each other, then we're, we're all better off. I love it. Not, always, not simple thing, but not always the easiest, easiest thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the right, it's, it's the right idea, but I mean, as, as you know, everything's always about execution. And I think that's really, that's really a tough part. And it's, and it's really tough when it comes to people, um, because yeah. uh, people are complicated. Yeah. We're all, I mean, we all make things harder than ourselves on ourselves sometimes too, than, uh, than what they need to be. So it's great to have those people around you that can kind of call you out when, uh, when that's needed or help you out. Yeah. And, and, and it's timely. I mean, this, this conversation I think is really timely. Um, you know, Matt shared some of the statistics, um, you know, we've all been living through the pandemic over the last, you know, it'll, you know, 18 months, uh, and, it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, it's interesting that the data supports this, but I think uh, you know, kind of the lived experience part of the pandemic is that we've all been forced into various corners. I mean, corners of our home, in fact. I mean, it's, it's really where we've been where we've been shoved, and as a result, have had to um, face challenges that we haven't normally had to face. And 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 certainly, the pandemic, teleworking in that context. I think has brought uh, a bunch of questions to the fore for a lot of people about what their priorities are in life. Um, and, and we're talking specifically here about career transitions, but we, you know, I think mixed in with that is also questions about how we ought to prioritize our, our life in general. So, so where I was thinking we might start the conversation, if you're cool with it, Brad, is, is, is talking a little bit about, about, a, you know, a fairly significant transition that you made in the last couple of years, um, in your own professional evolution. So, so, I'm wondering if you might wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your own professional evolution and and, and kind of how do you ended up where you are right now? I'd, I'd love to. That sounds great. Um, clearly, it was due to uh, exceptionally great planning, and uh, exactly <laughs> where I thought I, I was going to end up. Awesome. <laughs> Which would be a complete lie. Um, it's interesting as you go through, and I love talking to people about. The, their stories and just listening to them because you know there's very few 
of the of the people that I've known, there's very few direct lines between this is where I was and here's where I am now, and this is mm-hmm. exactly how I ended up there. Everybody goes through their um, you know new doors, new turns, and a lot of things are surprising. Which is you know, as you get further on in life, you start to you know understand those a bit more and start to uh, uh, value them a little bit more. But when you're in them, it 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 doesn't doesn't feel very good sometimes. Uh, so my transition, um, well, the one of them, I would say there's probably three or four big ones in my life. Uh, the latest one, career-wise, um, had been choosing to leave, uh, really leave a career in an organization and a group of people that I really, really enjoyed being around for a long, long time. Um, but it came to the part where I wasn't as excited and as passionate getting up uh, every day. And it was becoming more and more difficult to do that. And as I was figuring out why that was happening um, and figuring out what uh, what the future might look like, I've always lived uh, my life more in the future, uh, which sometimes is challenging to be in the present, which is one of my, <laughs> my particular challenges. I get that. But I, I, I couldn't imagine uh, the future quite as vividly as what I could previously. So all these became to be signs that uh, something was going on. And as I turned the, uh, turned the methodology that I talked with other people about within their careers on myself, uh, it became pretty evident that there was something that needed to change. Um, and given that I was in my early 50s, you, know, you start thinking about how much time you've got, you know, and potentially how much healthy time you've got to do the things that you really want to do. So um, it became apparent that it was time to really think about a change and determine what I really wanted to do going forward. Um, and I was super lucky to have the support of, uh, of my wife uh, and family to have those conversations. And part of the ability to make that change was uh, we had always kind of planned forward. And again, going back to that, that methodology or that thinking of I never wanted to be stuck anywhere. Uh, I always wanted to be independent. Um, and by no means, uh, you know, independently uh, wealthy in any way, but just being able to make the decisions that uh, that I needed to make on my own two feet and not be not feel like I was stuck anywhere. So we were in a great spot where I was able to make those uh, make those decisions, make that change without changing or impacting our lifestyle too too greatly. Um, and it just felt great to have the the support uh, of my family. It was very, it's very difficult to leave something, especially when it's been such a big part of your life. You have so many great relationships. The business is always fun, and the the things that you do are always really great. Uh, but at the end of the day, people don't really uh, remember those so much. You, what you really remember is kind of goes back to the the saying of uh, you know. People remember how you make them feel more than more than anything else. So it's those relationships that you that you build that are often the most difficult things to uh, to move off. But then going into setting up, you know, just setting up uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to you know, spend the rest next part of my life of having more time with my family because I was a bit of a workaholic and I missed a lot of things. Um, so I wanted to spend more time with them, and I got a bit of an adventure bug. So. Uh, there were some adventures that I wanted to do, and I wanted to you know, take the knowledge that I've accumulated and see what I could do to help other people out uh, with that, particularly along the, the lines of you know, helping smaller organizations or startups and helping people along the lines of mental health and diversity and inclusion. So um, last couple of years have been spent trying to hone some of that, and you know, the, uh, the journey is still on, underway. That's amazing. There's, there's, I've got so many questions that are <laughs> that popped up in the in the process of hearing that. Um, let let me start with the 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 point that you made, which I think this, this is super interesting, and I, and and I think uh, I've gone through this, but didn't realize what I was going through at the time when when I was going through it. And it was the 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 comment you made about you. Know, normally, you could see you had a plan, you had a set of goals set out for the future, and when you're going through this transition phase, kind of the pre-transition phase, you couldn't see the future anymore. I'm, I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that because I, I mean that resonates with me for sure. Um, you know, in terms of your understanding of, of what was going on there, I, w- I wonder if you could just share a little bit more. Sure. The uh, 
one of the one of the things I always tried to uh, kind of guide myself with is I never wanted to feel like I was punching a clock or you know I was just I was just doing something because I had to do it and you spent the biggest part of your life you know, doing something that uh, that was really taking a lot of energy from you and you weren't able to give the energy in the other parts of your life where, where you wanted to do it. Um, so that sense of um, always wanting to, you know, be passionate about what I was doing, which again, I've, I've been like, I've just been so lucky in my life where I've been able to do that 95% of, of my, of my life and my career so far, but it got to be that, that, you know, that 5% where it wasn't, um, wasn't just happening anymore. So it was, it was clear that in order to, I had a decision to make, which was either continue going down the road where I was going. And there's like, a lot of good things that were happening in that time. Again, I was working with some great people. Um, I was doing some really interesting things, um, but it wasn't. I wasn't passionate about it uh, the way I was previously. And to me, for the way that I wanted to, uh, one of the goals in my life, um, I wanted to get that passion back again because I couldn't imagine. Uh, I couldn't imagine living the rest of it, or even you know, going on for periods of time where. I wasn't feeling that anymore. I wanted to try and find it again. And it, it kind of went, you start to get to a point in your life where things happen around you and people who you've met and, and are really good friends, one day they're fine. And two months down the road, they found out that uh, their health is, has been severely impacted and sometimes they're no longer with you in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. So a couple of those had, had happened and you know, maybe it's being a bit dramatic, but I started to ask myself the question of if today was my last day, would I be happy with the way I spent it? Mm -hmm. And more often than not, the answer came back that no, I would have, uh, I would have been disappointed with that because I wasn't doing the things and being with the people, my family primarily, um, in a way that I really wanted to be. So that, that was really the, at some point in time, that transition became no longer a decision and it became something that I had to do. And I think everybody's transition kind of follows a bit of an arc like that. Can, can I ask a question here? And I, and I, and I, I mean this to be provocative. Um, a, a lot of, you know, some will look at that and say, um, or, or let me use another example. You know, people with money will tell you money is not important. Mm -hmm. You know, to what extent did that was that decision also based on the on the ability to be able to to do that so i know people who money is absolutely not important for them they will make decisions in their life regardless of that and i've always been i admire them so much i'm not that person i i'm a i'm a planner i am a warrior um, um and money is 100% important. If you go back to a lot of mental health stats, mm -hmm. a lot of the, the most significant driver of uh, mental health challenges is, is based around finance. And, you know, keep on going back to Maslow's hierarchy and a lot of these, these things. If you don't have the basics of a roof over your head and money or food on the table, nothing else really matters. So, I wouldn't have been able to make the decision that I made early on in my career because I wouldn't have felt like, you know, we were going to be okay. So we were lucky that we had, we had planned along the way and we were lucky that we had, you know, a career of, of, of continuous employment uh, that allowed us to be savers and allowed us to make those decisions in our life that um, facilitated these later in life um, conversations. But everybody, I think, you know, if I bring it back to, you know, that was kind of just our reality. If I bring it back to other people, I would completely agree with you, Matt. Money and financial stability is so, so important. Um, and the, the ability to recognize, you know, how to do that, regardless of what your income level is. You know, I've known people who have been working and have, you know, you know, making Thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, and have had very successful, stable lives, and they do whatever they want. 
I've known people who have made a lot of money and they may be the most financially insecure people because they really haven't understood how to, uh, how to work through that. So bottom line, coming back to, um, financial, uh, literacy is a super important thing. And I would encourage anybody just to learn more about that, think more about that. And I think at any phase of your life or any income level, anyone can become financially, financially literate. Um, but obviously there's a lot of people where circumstances are dictated to them that make that very, very difficult. So we were lucky at the end of the day, we were lucky, but it's, it's, it's one of the most important things to, uh, to kind of figure out along the way. And with the pandemic and other stuff, like a lot of people, like I said, if, if you lose your job, if, uh, Mm -hmm. if something happens environmentally or your job goes away, you're dealt a really difficult hand that you've got to, got to try and figure out. Some transitions are harder than others. Yeah. And, and I, I won't, I won't derail, uh, us here yet. I do have a, a hypothesis I want to try out later related to all of this. I'm just foreshadowing. For sure. Sorry, feel Gary. free, feel free to derail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly it. No, I, 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 and I think it's an important point to underscore, you know, you know, it's funny. There's a quote here uh, that you know that I, that I recorded from one of the articles that we were reading in preparation for this. You know that that we we live in details, not ab- not abstractions, um, and, and the details are different for every individual. And you know, and while we're having a conversation about this, the conversation you know is fundamentally an abstraction, kind of from kind of the lived experience of most people. And uh, I, I think it's worth pointing out when when we talk about transitions, you know, the conditions are different for everybody, and certainly you know we're. We're, we're privileged enough to be able to, to, to have the flexibility to talk about career transitions, but certainly there's many people out there thinking about Maslow's hierarchy in which the, you know, they're struggling just to make, uh, to, to meet, make ends meet. And, uh, and, you know, the transition that they would be liking to likely needing to make would be one of trying to increase their financial stability to be able to create a platform to be able to have a bit more choice. Because like you said, Brad, you know, if, if you're dealt a specific hand, especially a hand in which you're, uh, where you're, where you're tied financially, you know, the, the path through that is quite limited. And until you, you deal with those basic needs, it's going to be much harder to deal with the higher order needs. You know, if you think of well, moving up Maslow's hierarchy. So, uh, it's a, it's, it's a super important point. I think one of the challenges when you're when you're in those fight or flight situations, sometimes you feel like there is no way out. Um, but I, I'm still a believer that regardless of the situation that you're in, there's there's opportunities to think about what your next steps could be and how you could potentially plan your way out of uh, out of some of those things, which may take longer, it may take more time, but. Um, it, it can be done and we have examples around us that we can kind of draw on and just maybe just derail a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the Olympics, so much of my life has been around sport. And one of the things I've loved around sport is that ability to understand in a, you know, a sports-based environment, um, the sense of, of, uh, challenge, failure, um, and then of, of success. And there was a story in the Olympics recently, the, uh, the athlete was Safan Hassan. She was from the Netherlands. If I get her story mm-hmm. correctly, she was a, you know, a refugee from, uh, I think Sudan, uh, or an area like that. And eventually, you know, found her way to the Netherlands and here she is in the Olympics. And she was trying to do something that nobody else had ever done in running the, the 1500, the 5k, the 10k and her 1500 heat, she got knocked down and was on the track and behind everybody and were most of us would, would say, okay, well, I guess that's over. She got up and she won that heat. Later that day, she won a medal in the 5K, I think, and then came back to win the book 1510K. Just the... Wow. Like, I can't, like I can't imagine in, in, in my life the, the strength it takes to um, overcome many of the challenges that people in the world face. Um, so again, we've been very lucky. I've been very privileged on, on those things, and I, I recognize that. But to see those stories of what people can do um, is so inspiring. And I think there's, there's, there's opportunities uh, around those kind of regardless of where people are at. It, it's an awesome example. Um, and, and it provides a really interesting contrast when you're thinking about transitions, you know, because you, you, the takeaway for me in terms of that story is that there's something to be said for, for having a bit of grit, 
um, a bit of resilience in the in the, in the face of change. Um, because when you when you think about transitions broadly, the kind of the interesting question is, you know, do I make a change or don't I make a change? I mean, in in the most general terms possible. Um, and how do you know when you're going to make a change? And how do you know when you just need to stick to it? And and that there might be you know further satisfaction or or or, or enlightenment on the on, on the on the other side of uh, of I guess the the struggle or the obstacle. Um, and so 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 when you're thinking about because what's really interesting to me is just thinking about the psychology of this, right? So so here I am an individual and and and, and I'm going through some 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 set of emotions around my future. So let's say, you know, using the way that you've described your own personal experience, you know, I'm at a point where I, I had goals, but now those goals don't make any sense to me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about the goals, I'm, I'm not getting excited. I'm not getting passionate. I'm not getting, I'm not getting motivated. And now I've got a choice, right? I can either change the way that I think about it. You know, this might be part of kind of having a bit of resilience, getting gritty about it and, and, and kind of sticking it a little bit longer. And maybe that's, that's the, that's appropriate at certain phases of the process. Or I could I could quit, and sometimes quitting is a good thing. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who think you know don't don't quit, but sometimes uh, knowing knowing when to quit is actually the best the best solution in some situations, and and, and making a change and, and transitioning and setting a new set of goals. So, so how do you think about navigating that choice point? Yeah, great question. It's it's that sense of you know we're all we're all kind of taught not to quit, and quitting is a bad thing. But at some point in time, it may be the most positive thing you can do, uh, just to give yourself that break. You know, from the people that I've, that I've talked with over, you know, kind of my life and whether it's in a, a, uh, a business setting or a family setting or, or anything, um, I do some mentoring with, uh, with people who are just starting their careers out. Um, I've also taught at university and there's different things that you can see, but there's, there's some similarities that um, I think everybody kind of faces around um, going through those, those transitions. And it was one of the things that I was lucky to receive from, like I said, a mentor, you know, at one point in time when I was going through one of my transitions and it was that it was, it's the sense of understanding that, uh, one of the first things that I would talk to people about would be just to understand, understand what zone you're in. If you try and break it down to really simple terms, you know, there's endings, there's neutral zones, and then there's new beginnings. And, for most people I've talked to, and I've, I've put myself in that as well, but I think everybody can maybe get their head wrapped around a little bit of feeling of, is this something that's ending or am I just kind of in neutral? Like, am I, am I stuck in neutral? So there's some questions that you can, you can ask yourself that help you to understand kind of where you're at uh, with those. Because if you don't recognize what zone you're in, it's very difficult to try and figure out, what do I do next? So if this is an ending, then how do I work? <laughs> how do I work it around? I love the pandemic. It's, it's really brought humanity out with everybody. Yep. I love it. So the ending, so if I'm in an ending, how do I, you know, how do I end it? Or how do I, like, how do I land the plane in the best way that I can? And where am I going next? Sometimes you know where you're going next. Sometimes you don't know where you're going next. Sometimes you don't know if you can land the plane. There's so many different things that you, you can get through. But there's some questions that you that I, I have found to be helpful um, for people to kind of help understand kind of what zone you're in. You know, I kind of uh, relate that back to like a, a battery, which kind of goes back to your, your resilience uh, conversation, uh, Yaron. Uh, some of the things I've learned over my life and in through some of the training that I've done is, you know, resilience is basically a, a battery or a, or a bucket. And if you've got enough charge in that battery, you can be resilient. You can do a bunch of things, but if your battery is really low, then you really, your resilience is below the waterline and you really, um, there's nothing much else that you can do. You're just surviving at that point in time. So if you try and think about yourself as a battery and, and the things you're doing in your life about how much energy do I actually have? You know, do I get up in the morning and it's a struggle to get up? It's a struggle to get through my day and I collapse at the end of the day when I'm, when I'm back home. Or do you basically have a little bit of energy and you can kind of crank that battery up again through a run or a conversation or reading a book or whatever, it, whatever however you get energy. So just kind of first understanding what, what, 
amount of strength you've got, what that looks like for you, thinking about what gives you energy, what takes energy from you, um, and how excited you are about the things that are going forward. Those all give you cues about, am I at a spot now where things are ending? And what I've found with people is if you, if you're continually or for an extended period of time at that just survival mode, then you may be within uh, you know a spot that you have to look at something that's got to change because you just can't survive in that uh, in that state for too much longer. But that may be an ending related to career or just a transition related to something that is occurring in your life. The other structure that I tend to think about just to try and figure out, okay, so what's happening? Why am I feeling that way? And is this something that's going to last or something that is just transitory? Um, one of the paradigms that uh, a mentor had given me is we're all, all of our lives are broken down into about four different quadrants to make it really simple. There's ourself as individuals, there's uh, our family, there's our friends and our work life. And if you think about as you're trying to figure out where you're at, what kind of energy you have, what gives you energy, what doesn't give you energy, I found it so helpful to just go into those. Is it something that's really related to me and what I want for myself out of my life? Or is it something with my family, something with my friends, or something with my work life? What I found with me was I needed to have uh, strength or be stable in at least two of those quadrants. Typically, um, myself and my family, in order to be able to feel like I was able to you know, get up every day and do a good job and still have a little bit of time left. And when I found that I was at my lowest energy, it was often because I had completely over-rotated on the work side of things. And I was neglecting things that I needed to do to be um, strong myself, which was typically something around sport or around running. You know, I probably have low sleep, no, low nutrition, and I didn't get any activity. Uh, and I was neglecting my family. I wasn't there for them, and I wasn't seeing my friends. So that was an indication of, okay, I'm just out of balance. And if I could rebalance through maybe going for a run once a week or spending a little more time with my family or actually seeing a friend or talking with them, that began to balance itself out a little more. And I thought, okay, this is not an ending. This is just a bit of a transition I'm going through and I can get it back on the rails again by doing these things. But at some point in time, when you figure you can't get that back on the rails again, then you have to look at those areas and figure out where do you need to make maybe a bigger change. Um, and there's just so many things that are unique and personal to each individual as they go through those to figure out what is that? How do I do it? And then once I, I know more about what I need to do, how do I actually go ahead and do it? But that first stage of, uh, it's so hard for, for many, many people, me included, to really know, okay, so what do you want? How do I figure out where I'm at? What do I want? What's happening? But until you do that hard work, it's like anything. Unless you know where you're going, you're really not going to be able to get there and just kind of get to whatever destination you're at. It's like going on a trip without a map. There's, well, that's, there's so much there, Brad. Um, uh, let me go back to, to, uh, to your zones. Cause I love this idea. Presumably the, uh, the battery depletion example that you gave would, was, was an example of the, of the ending. Right, because it's it, it it's continuously depleting your battery. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, it can be, and, and it's, it's the questioning yourself about you know why am I you know why don't I don't I have that any any energy? It may be something where you can make a small adjustment, and there's something that really gives you you energy. Like I said, for me, the example is uh, running. If I don't get out and if I'm not active, then I'm on a continual decline of energy but the minute that i begin re you know reinstituting that into my day-to-day -day, my battery comes back really quickly so for right. the individual it may be something that is long term and is more significant but may also be something that 
uh, is relatively simple and it's just a habit that somebody's fallen out of that you think you can't do or maybe you think you're being selfish uh, around because you you have all these other demands on you so it may be it may be long lasting but it may also be shorter term uh, depends right. on what the individual is going through and, and so in in contrast what would neutral or, or a beginning look like or feel like for me and from from some of the people that i talked to neutral is um when i think about that i think about figuring out what's happening um and again depending on on where you're at um it may be something where you just have to give yourself the permission to feel the way you're feeling um not do anything different until you kind of figure out is this an ending um, you kind of know when a new beginning's there because you've made it you know you often made a conscious decision about um, i'm stopping this i'm going to you know end this relationship change this relationship change my job do something very different and then you know you've got to deal with the you know uh, the implications around that, which may be your own feelings, it may be you know different things that you need to do um, related to really any aspect of making it that change. And then a minute you embark on that new journey, um, you know that you're off, you're off on something something new. So it's that the really mucky part is really that ending transition phase. And the transition phase to me is really just about. Um, spending enough time to really understand what's happening to determine whether or not you keep on going in the direction that you're going, or you do have to make that change. And often what I've found is I've found when I'm going through it, or when I'm talking with people, when I, I hear back from them about the, the excitement that they have about some of the things that they're either realizing or they're planning to do next, some things are very, very simple. I'm going to eat more vegetables. <laughs> Some things are much more, more difficult. I think I need to change jobs or I think I need to change cities. And uh, I don't know exactly what that is, but um, I now know that that's the thing that I need to focus on. And I will now think about how do I go about doing that? It's, I don't, it's very difficult to give a, a specific answer because I don't think it's any one thing, and I think it Matt, it's different for everybody. Um, but spending enough time to try and think about where you're at um, will will help you out. Absolutely, I, I really like the you know sort of the correlation. One is you know I'm so I'm 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 too very much a logical thinker. So of course, I have I have a diagram drawn here beside me already, um, and a workflow of how this how this operates. Awesome, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but but I like what you're saying. Like I, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense. Where you know one of one of the things you need to do is realize where you're at, and that 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 kind of introspection is extremely important. That helps you lead to the next step, which is to decide whether the things you're feeling are temporary, yeah. or whether they're they're more uh, you know embedded in what you're doing, which then can lead you to other types of analyses, like the one you described about where you're spending your time between self, family, friends, and, and, and work. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that's a, that's a super, super framework for, for evaluation. I'm, I'll draw it up for you, Brad, and I'll send it over and you can. That'd be awesome. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. One, of the, one of the things that's interesting about that, I just sort of just to piggyback on that, Matt, um, as a, as a, an analytical and logical thinker myself. I mean, one of the things I find striking about just the approach is, you know, it's, you've got a kind of an analytical framework, right? You go to the four quadrants, you got to think about these different dimensions of your life. That makes sense. But there seems to be a really important kind of mindfulness, experiential piece to the, you know, what you might call the assessment phase of this. Again, this all sounds overly analytical, the way that I'm placing it, putting this, but, but, you know, for those of us who work in like the knowledge economy, um, you know, who are doing kind of analytical work as part of your, your, your daily, daily job. And let's say you're, let's say you're a workaholic who's doing that kind of work, you know, so you spend the bulk of your time living in the future. Um, uh, and you spend the bulk of your time, you know, hanging out in your prefrontal cortex, you know, doing lots of analysis. And so, you know, you're kind of handicapped to some extent. I'm not, that's the wrong way to put it, but, um, you know, but, but you are, unable to some extent to to tap into the you know to being in the moment first and foremost but also being in tune with you know the fact that things aren't going well and so so 
so I imagine one of the obstacles then for, for, for people who are in that headspace is just to come to the realization that, that, you know, I, A, I'm experiencing some symptoms here, but most of those symptoms are, are, you know, are emotional and, you know, to, to play on, I guess, a classic male stereotype, you know, if, if, if it's true, uh, I don't know that it is true, but if it's true that men aren't really good at processing their feelings or thinking about their feelings, yeah, I, I wonder how, how much, how important skills development in that area needs to be in order to be able to, to have a greater sense of awareness that you, A, need a change, but, but secondly, to be able to feel your way through the change, because there, there really seems to be kind of a feeling component to this, to experimenting with, with, with change and, and seeing what makes you feel good. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, a lot of different stereotypes out there, but I think from an inclusive point, point of view, um, there's many aspects of, of just being a person or human that I think are you know, cut across any group that, that you think about. Um, and I think this is where it's so important um, to get feedback from around you. And this has been like so helpful for me. And, and when I talk with other people about going through this exercise, one of the things I really encourage them to do is to go through the, the analytical part of it um, themselves. And whatever they populate in each of those quadrants is so unique to them because we're all different. And we all have these different things and different wants and, and drives and needs that, that, that we go through. But I asked them to go through that themselves. And the key to, to think about that is don't be too analytical about it. It's, you know, often the first thing that pops in your head is the thing that's most important to you. So just kind of go with that, write that down, and then you can get more analytical down the road and just say, is that still the right thing there? But it's really that, you know, in the first 10 seconds, just someone asks you a question, what's the first thing that pops to your mind, that instinctive aspect of, of starting that out? As you do that, what I always encourage people to do is do that exercise on your own. Now bring in a significant other, um, a spouse, uh, a friend, a mentor, somebody else, um, and talk through that with them. And if it's something where you're sharing your life with somebody, getting them to do that themselves can help to bring those those things together. But the basic thing I wanted to I wanted to add to what you guys were saying there is we're often uh, our own worst enemy. And it's so funny, I've just segue for a minute. I used to work with somebody who was, uh, you know, a great leader that, that I had worked with. And this person, it seemed like they, they lived in, in sayings or these truisms that, that have, have lived their way through time. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, they're right. All of these sayings that do have longevity are there for a reason. So, I mean, you are your own worst enemy in many ways, because you can't, you're so far into the forest, you can't see, um, you can't see anything else for but that, that tree that's right in front of you. So having somebody else come in and go, yeah, you haven't been yourself for a long time. I don't know if you realize that, but you've either been sad, mad, you know, low energy, but you're, you've been different. And then to hear from other people, the perspective on what have you been seeing me do? How have, has that been positive? Has it been, has it been negative? get that other input so that, you know, none of us operator can live through life individually. It's that sense of, you know, it takes a, a tribe to, uh, or a community to, to raise somebody. We forget about that. I think as we get older and we, we fall into those stereotypes of I've got to be strong or I can't show weakness or, you know, I'm really not comfortable sharing how I feel with somebody else. Cause they might see that I'm an, <laughs> I am an imposter or, uh, or I'm not as strong or not as you know, whatever they, I want them to think that I am. But if you don't become vulnerable in that way and invite those other people in, you know, you may end up living in that transition area for a long period of time that can have other kind of negative consequences. So great to have those people around you who can tell you, you know, with honesty, what's really happening. Yeah, that's super interesting as well. So I'm going to pick up on a, on a, on a slightly different, not a slightly different thread. It's a, it's, it's all in the same, in the same ballpark here, but you, in some of the background reading I was doing in preparation for the conversation, you know, as part of a, my standard process, I, you know, trying to understand what is a transition? Why do people make transitions? What's the psychology behind how people think about transitions and whatnot? And, and you've given us, I mean, a ton to think about in terms of, you know, recognizing, you know, which zone that you're in, in order to be able to prepare yourself for, um, 
for figuring out where you need to go in terms of the next step, whether whether you're evaluating a change or or not. And, and one of the things that came up um, was you know the role of regret in 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 driving people's thinking about transitions. And I, and I think for many people, I don't know if it's most people. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, they they get to certain points in their life. Uh, and, and rather than than looking forward, which I, I something I just love about your point of view about this, that that for for you, I mean, and I think this speaks a little bit to your personality as well, and kind of your, you know, your perennial positivity. I mean, for you, the sign was you know a blurry future, um, which is incredible. I mean, on its own, I think that you know, we could have a whole we've, we've had we've talked about it already a little bit, but there's a whole other conversation to happen around that. But I think for other people, you know, they reach a point in which they 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 there's a there's a stacking up of regret um and they're 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 in a kind of a rear view mirror type mindset in which they're looking back on their life and they're at a point where they're no longer satisfied with either some or or many of the choices that they've made and are trying to figure out now where they need to go next so so i mean what are your thoughts about just the role of regret and how people need to manage regret in the context of thinking about you know where they're at and where they need to go no it's 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 so interesting. What a great question. And it's, it's so powerful. You know, what, do they, what do they say? It's 10 times uh, easier to have a negative thought than it is to have a positive thought. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like all these things that you, that you hear, like, okay, that's very scientific. But you know what? It's true. <laughs> Where does, how, how hard is it to have a positive outlook and to kind of get yourself ramped up around that? Um, why is so interesting is I... Um, one of the things I'm, I'm I love doing is I'm, I'm helping to coach my son's baseball team. And like I said, my, my, my son's 15. So he's going through, you know, he's going through life and yep. teenage years are, are you know, <laughs> kind of tough for anybody. Um, <laughs> and it's hard, you know, because you look back and like, Oh, I could have done better. And I feel bad about what I've done. And we all do this. Um, bring those sports analogies back. I can't remember uh, who said it, whether it was, you know, Eddie Belfort or another goalie or somebody, but somebody had asked what the, uh, what made, what was the greatest attribute that the best goalies had? And somebody said a short memory. And that was so, that that just stuck with me. That's brilliant. And and recently um, it kind of came through, we've, we've kind of gotten really, you know, bought into, uh, the uh, the Apple TV show Ted Lasso, and one of the things that he had said, you know, the character had said in the show was he was talking with his team about you know the happiest fish in the world is a goldfish, and the reason why that goldfish is the happiest fish, happiest um, thing in the world is it has no memory. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of that short memory. So we've been talking with uh, with my son as well as his baseball team. That whenever you make an error and like mistakes happen every day in life. I'm sure I'm making a lot in this conversation, but it's the sense of, okay, that happened, figure it out, understand what happened, try and move forward with it. And, you know, be, be a goldfish, you know, have that short memory, but don't, don't forget about what you've done. Don't forget about the lessons. Don't forget about how it felt. Don't forget about how you got there, but it happened. You can't change it. What can you take from that to try and be, you know, to take another, uh, another, uh, friend, I'm lucky to be, you know, in a community or with, uh, with a lot of friends, uh, Ray, they have a good friend and he's one of the big reasons why I'm positive on a lot of things. And, uh, he has somebody in his sphere, uh, Greg, Dr. Greg Wells, who talks about, um, just being 1% better every day. And it's something that you can kind of get your head wrapped around. And it's that sense of, I can't change what's happened, but I can learn from it to be 1% better tomorrow. And if I can do that more consistently, then I can build myself out of that valley or that transition that I'm in and get to a point where I do have enough energy to try and figure something else out. So regret, super huge, so powerful of an emotion. Um, it's going to happen. Um, and if we can, if we can collectively learn from what we've done and, uh, you know, failure is good. Any failure that you've got, it teaches you kind of, hopefully, you know, what you don't want to do, um, but also teaches you a little bit about uh, more how to get what you want uh, out of the future. 
Yeah, that's 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 excellent. I mean, you, you can tell I'm a parent of 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 young girls. When now my my reference for what you're saying is Dory from Finding Nemo and Anna from uh, Frozen. So it's 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 let it go and uh, and for forgetfulness, uh, which is I, I think it's it, it's it's super insightful. I mean, it, I, I, there's probably a lot of attendant challenges with 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 being able to let things go, but I think the you know the main point there being you know, take stock. Of, of what's happened, right? Learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so there is a period of reflection that happens after, you know, whether, whether it's a, a an old decision, something that, that, that you decided ages ago or, or recent decision, right? So whether you're, you're, you know, you're, you're Tony Esposito um, in net and, uh, and, you know, you had a bad game and you're trying to figure out how to make it better. Or, you know, you're at a point where you made some life decision 10 years ago and you're now feeling the impacts of that. And you need to move forward. You know, the reality is in both those situations, you've got to, you know, do the lessons learned, exercise, figure out what you can learn from it, but then not torture yourself with it anymore. I mean, take the lessons out of it. That's the value and the experience. And then use those lessons to, 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 to chart a path forward and then let go of, let go of the, the baggage, the emotions around that. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And depending on how you how you look at this, there's a we're sort of you know we have some physiological baggage around this from a limbic system perspective, right? Like if you look at animals who are in an extremely stressful situation, you know the antelope being chased by the lion, and and you'll see the chase is on; it's running for its life, and then the lion gives up and and trots off, and it the antelope seemingly just goes back to grazing, like nothing happened. Like it hasn't experienced a traumatic event. And in part, that's because it doesn't have that prefrontal cortex. It processes fear through its limbic system and then it ends. Whereas we, not only do we sometimes stop that fear process, so we don't let it run its course. We stop it part way, but then we bring it into the prefrontal cortex so we can relive it. Yeah, You know, Hey, this is fun. Let's think about this and relive it 10 more times with our own narrative around it. So, so I think that's the, the memory thing is really cool in that context because that's exactly what it is. If there's a feeling, if there's something going through, you have to let it pass through, For allow sure. it to run its course, take what you will from it, but then let it go. Don't, and I will break into song, Gareth. Well, <laughs> it is, you know, it, it goes into like a, a spiritual concept as well. So one of the other major challenges in my life of, uh, of having um, uh, a relationship and and my family, you know, uh, moving cities and moving away, and this kind of being, you know, still in, in the one place and being on your own, you start thinking about those things and that sense of regret of, you know, oh my God, what's what have I done? What's happening here? And as I was going through that at one of the real low moments, um, I just started reading more about about Buddhism, and I'm not a I wouldn't call myself a spiritual person. I love being out in nature, which is more where my spirituality comes from, but um, I don't kind of associate with one religion or another, but I loved the basic concept that I picked up and I'm probably going to butcher this as well, but um, it's just the sense of, you know, the cycle of, of uh, thought, you know, really within Buddhism of, you know, being aware um being open to what's happening accepting it and then letting it go the number of times i've repeated that mantra in my life after i kind of picked that up um has just been incredible it's like a continuous stream within my head when i start getting into that that sense of regret or that sense of you can't move from something that's happened just repeating that as a mantra and trying to find out um make it a little bit better as, as you keep on moving along. But that sense of letting go is just so massive, which is so difficult to do. Yeah. We, one of our previous episodes, um, we had, uh, Angelon talking to us a little bit about mindfulness and, uh, and she runs a, a meditation center in, in London, Ontario. And, uh, and so we, 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 we veered off a little bit into, into the, into the Buddhist headspace there. And it's, 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 you know, it's, one of the super interesting principles I think of, of Buddhism is this idea of how you maintain the balance of your mind in the, in the face of adversity, you know, the cycle of, you know, you won't get into the, the, the detailed philosophical components, but you know, the cycle of craving and aversion and what the root of human suffering is, is kind of reliving and, and, and staying in this pattern of living 
that constantly either has you craving for something that you can't have or avoiding things that you can't avoid. And, you know, the subsequent effect is, you know, some kind of psychological distress that comes from that, you know, and the whole power of the, of, of, of the technique of either meditation or just being mindful in general is knowing when these things are happening. But, but the critical part is not losing the balance of your mind in the face of it and being able to, I mean, just as you described it, to be able to let it go and, and for all intents and purposes, forget about it. I mean, you know, not, not that you can't relive it, but if you're going to relive it, you relive it in a way with, with kind of mindful detachment so that you, so, so that the emotional baggage as, 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 as Matt was describing it, is no longer part of the thought process. So all that stuff stays in the limbic system and any thinking about it really happens out there in the prefrontal cortex and everybody, and as long as, you know, each of the aspects of your thinking lives in its proper box, everything tends to work out okay. There's a, there's an interesting part uh, to that. And we, we touched on this at the beginning, which is this whole idea of, you know, when do you quit? When do you let go? Yeah. When do you move on? So part of this is absolutely letting go. Sometimes that letting go is a little bit more, um, more profound, right? And I think one of the things Adam Grant talks about this, the escalation of commitment to a losing course of action, he calls it, hmm. which is which is more commonly known as the frog in a pot of boiling water. Um, there's a there's a great clip. I just it's a it's a 30 second clip, and I and I, I need to find it because it's it is the perfect example of the human version of this. It's a it's a newscaster who's uh, who's who's uh, giving a story from a farm that um, that. Uh, uh, it's a hot pepper farm. They have all these different kinds of peppers and he grabs, and I forget if it's a ghost pepper or a Carolina Reaper and he bites it like on camera. Ouch. And, uh, and everyone around him is kind of, you know, the farmers are kind of looking at him and they, you know, immediately they turn around and have a glass of water ready, ready for him. He's starting to, you know, cough a little as he's trying to finish the report. <laughs> and then he takes another bite. <laughs> and he stops and he says, I shouldn't have done that, should I? And it's just such a perfect example of you just have this commitment, right? That I can't be wrong. It's about grit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to push through it. And that that's not the case. I think there's a lot of very legitimate examples where letting go isn't just necessarily letting go of a thought or an experience, but it's letting go of a particular course of action that worked, that no longer works for you, which could mean a career. Absolutely. Can be, I mean, can be anything, <laughs> but you know, things change. Nothing happens. Nothing stays there forever. And you know, coming back to, I find myself living more and more by these sayings. You know, these days is, you know, what got you there is not going to get you where you want to go, where right. you want to go. So it's just how do you how do you figure all that out? So you know, there's there's ways of doing it, but it takes it takes hard work because if we. I think as, as people, you know, you don't learn the things growing up that you really need to be, to be helpful. You know, my friend, my, my son would tell me that nothing he's learning in grade nine or 10 right now is going to help him be, you know, anything in life. But, um, the sense of, you know, what kind of nutrition do I need would be great for people to learn. Um, how do I, um, understand and feel comfortable with sharing what I'm feeling and, and, you know, whether things are working for me or not, how to understand what's happening around me or why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. We don't build, this is not what we grow up with in our, in our society. So um, it's hard to learn it down the road when, uh, when the stakes pick up and it really, really matters, but yeah. it can be done. It can be done with all these things. Yeah. And I think another takeaway that I, that I've got from what you're saying, Brad is um, I don't think you put it this way, but I, but this is sort of the, what I heard was the importance of a willingness to to experiment. Um, you know, if you don't do things differently, I mean, it's just it's just like that quote. You know, that you know, you said, you know, however you got there isn't going to be the way that you get out, or you know, the kind of thinking that created a problem isn't going to be the kind of thinking that's going to solve the problem in the end, right? Um, and so, so when you're talking about breaking breaking those patterns, right? So, so we're we're now at a phase where we know that we're approaching an ending you know, we're, we're aware that we need to do something different. You, you may not be able to forecast, you know, analytically plan. I mean, I know you're a planner. I'm a, I'm a planner as well. Uh, but it sounds like there's, there's gotta be some commitment to at least exploration to, to trying some different things and kind of getting that feedback loop going, you know, using some, some intuition, seeing how you respond emotionally to what the changes look like uh, as a key part of, of the, the, the process for, for figuring out what you need to do. Do, do. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And as, as you're saying that the first question that comes to mind or the first item that comes to mind, let me, let me turn a question back to you guys is how comfortable are you 
not being the expert in something and how comfortable <laughs> are you willing to look foolish to try something new? Um, I found it in, you know, in myself, I found it in at different times feeling like, hmm, I'll just skate along and, you know, fake it till I make it because I don't want to look foolish. And then there's other times where I feel completely comfortable and fine saying, you know what? I don't know. And the only way I'm going to, only way I'm going to survive this episode is telling people like, yeah, I, I don't know how to do this. Um, I really need some help. Can somebody show me the way or let me try it, but you know, kind of be there to catch me or just know it's going to be a complete disaster and that, that'll, that'll be okay. But how comfortable are, are you guys um, in being in that position of saying, you know what? I'm completely fine. If I look like an idiot, I look like an idiot. That's all right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, yeah, super question. Um, and we're out of time. So uh, I guess we'll have to answer it next time. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but that's the thing you, that I you, think about. Like, that's the key thing, right? None of us want to look like an idiot. And we will go to <laughs> great lengths to, to prove that we're not when yeah. often we're just proving that we are. You know what's interesting is so much of it comes down to that sort of self-worth at the at the bottom of it. If you have a good concept of yourself, and I mean the broader self, then you can take it, right? You you can take looking foolish because you're not deriving your identity from that experience. Mm -hmm. I think where it changes is if is if the event you're involved in is the one that defines your identity. Interesting. Then it's a little bit different. Like if you know, Gareth is defending his PhD and he's asked the question. That's not the moment he can look foolish, <laughs> right? Because that's the definition of, that's a definition of his identity in that moment. I think in other contexts, obviously it, it changes. I think it's the, the right answer, of course, is, you know, we should always be open to looking foolish and learning from, from an experience. The difficulty is as we reflect back on areas where we were, you know, uh, easily, um, easily took on the role of being the fool versus ones where we found it, you know, regrettable and replayed the experience in our heads. I think it's how it's related to our identity. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was thinking about what my, yeah. No, I, and I was thinking about what my response would be to that. And it was funny that my first reaction was, well, the self-deprecating side of me says that I, you know, I'm, I'm a total idiot and, and, and make mistakes all the time. But then I realized kind of quickly and I was like, yeah, but you know, that's just a ruse to be able to lower expectations because I'm, I'm, I'm inordinately obsessed with being, looking like a fool. So if I can lower expectations in advance, wow, isn't, isn't, isn't that a, a success? And, 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 and when I got there, I was like, ah, uh, okay. So yeah, certainly the lesson here is that you know we all have these kind of self-protective mechanisms to be able to avoid you know, feeling foolish or, or 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 being put in a place more generally being put in a place where we're uncomfortable with change. I think is kind of the way I describe that. And but that that headspace is a huge obstacle to being able to improve the conditions of your life. Period, because like you said, I mean, it's the the same thinking that got you into the problem is going to get you out of the problem. And if you if you aren't willing to open up and and explore back to that experimentation thing, you know, you can't expect that you're going to get a different result. I mean, that's it's 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 essentially impossible. And and that means confronting the fear, which means you know, in the way that you're you're, you're kind of describing it there, Brad, you know, is is feeling vulnerable, feeling foolish, um, being able to seek out help, all those things kind of connected in that, in that space of being able to, uh, are, are critical components of being able to get new insights, uh, to, to get help if you need it and, and make change. Two, just two things that I'll kind of tack onto that is, um, in the fleeting moments in my life when I've been able to do that, um, <laughs> God, it's so liberating. It's like, wow, I can actually live like this. This is great. And I, and I know people around me who they do live that, that way and, and they're doing just fine and they're very respected. Um, so it's, it's so liberating. And it's one of the things I, I continually uh, try and work towards when kind of one of my 1%. Uh, the other part is I just have these, these amazing people in my, in my sphere that I've learned so much from, and I'm so grateful to have them around. Uh, one of them is a, a lifelong friend from Winnipeg and he found his way into the NFL, into uh, into coaching, and he always called the uh, NFL not for long, which I think is what what many of the people talk about. But when he was doing one of his transitions, where he was leaving one organization 
you know, due to a, a change in your know, coach and all that kind of stuff, which, which happens a lot. Uh, someone in, who he knew had just written a book and I'm reading it now. And there's so many things that I wish I would have been open to doing younger. And then you figure, oh, my life would have been so much more better and less stressful. So the book is called Ego is the Enemy. And I believe the author is Ryan Holiday. I may get it wrong. Simple read, you know, great book. And it's going back around all those things about, you know, your ego really is the one of the greatest uh, enemies that you've got. And how can you understand it, accept it, and how do you recognize when it's working for you or when it's working against you? So it's just one of those things that I'm, I'm doing right now where I'm reading and I'm like, oh, this is really simple, but really you know, great, uh, great lessons to keep, uh, keep front and center and right on my board so I can see it every day. Yeah. And one of the things you said in there, Brad, and, and thank you for that. I think that's super cool. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we bring that one up is, is that the ego works for you in some cases. Um, I, you know, I kind of think of it as a, uh, as, as, as wanting to do good, but being a little misguided, <laughs> right? It's, it's like that, um, you know, golden retriever that you have. It means really well. It means well, it wants the best for you, but it, sometimes it just gets it wrong. Um, and we have to be aware of when, when that is so that we can manage within it and not just follow blindly along. Absolutely. And I don't know how you knew I had a golden retriever. Actually, we have a black lab with a golden retriever mix, but very insightful now. <laughs> You're a genius. Well, you know. That would be what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good that's a good point, uh, gents, here for us. I think, uh, uh, Brad, we super appreciate your insights. And we could, I mean, we have two more pages of questions um, as I look at our notes here. But I feel like this is a this is a very good point where we've where you've given us an excellent overview of sort of where you came from and how you look at decision making uh, and and change, which I think is uh, which was incredibly insightful. Um, we can uh, I would love to talk more about uh, you know and and another session where maybe we dive into a use case or two. Mm-hmm to uh to work through those in the meantime i owe you a, a diagram <laughs> looking forward to it and uh, if you don't have a total revolt by your listeners um i'd be uh, happy to come back and chat with you at any point in time oh yeah no i think this uh I mean, this was a great conversation brad and and sincerely appreciate you making the time uh and i get super insightful i keep saying the word super you know it's one of the funny things about recording is all of a sudden you you, you you're self-aware of all the things that you might say that you shouldn't say but i mean you know the expletive uh, not expletive the uh, superlative is <laughs> could be an expletive as well that's effing super um uh but yeah no i really really appreciate it and i, I learned a ton today me too appreciated the conversation thank you it's been fantastic. Well, thanks again for, for the time, and uh, hopefully we can arrange another one of these. Pleasure. Take care and be well. All right. All right. Thanks, Brad.